This is InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's what's happening on this week's show. Just about everyone has heard about America's war on drugs. But there's a little-known weapon in the government's legal arsenal you may be unaware of. It allows the government to seize and keep your property without having to charge you with a crime, let alone find you guilty. And it's very much a product of the war on drugs. Then, counterfeit goods and online piracy are a financial menace for American business, large and small. A top attorney says to avoid becoming a legal target, ask yourself one question. What have I done not to step onto someone else's intellectual property? If you just copy someone else's picture and you post it, you could have liability. Those two stories, and much more, are coming your way on this week's edition of InfoTrack. Stay with us. The show gets underway right after this. InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know. Here's your host, Chris Whitting. You've heard about America's war on drugs, but you're probably unaware of a little-known weapon in the government's drug war arsenal. With this surprising story, here's InfoTrack's Taryn McCall. Taryn? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Jonah Engel, a freelance journalist based in Washington, D.C., who's been looking into a part of the war on drugs you may never have heard of. It's called civil asset forfeiture. Jonah, welcome to InfoTrack. Thank you. So as a freelance journalist, you've looked extensively into the war on drugs. What caused you to take on this project? Well, the war on drugs is such a huge issue. It touches on so many aspects. It affects foreign policy. It's a question of social justice. The huge expansion of prisons in America, you know, the U.S. has 5% of the world's population, but something like a quarter of its prisoners. So many of these issues go back to our drug laws. So I think it's a way to look at all kinds of social justice issues. And so it's a very rich topic. Most people have probably never heard the term civil asset forfeiture. What is it and how does it relate to the war on drugs? What it does is it allows the government to seize and keep your property without having to charge you with a crime, let alone find you guilty. And it's very much a product of the war on drugs. Modern civil asset forfeiture was instituted as part of the landmark Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970, which is when Nixon declares the war on drugs. And then in the ensuing years, as federal drug laws have been amended, they've increased the scope of forfeiture, and federal laws have in turn provided the basis for forfeiture laws in every state. Is this property kept mostly by local police departments, or is it federal agencies like the DEA? It's kind of a mix. What's concerning is that we actually don't know how much forfeiture is going on at the state and local level. On the federal level, there's been a significant increase in forfeiture, averaging 17% growth a year over the past 20 years, totaling some $10 billion. Last year alone, the Department of Justice's Asset Forfeiture Fund collected $1.68 billion. The Treasury has its own forfeiture fund. They collected over a billion dollars in 2010, hundreds of millions of dollars more collected at the state level. So at the federal level, it all goes to the seizing agency. At the state level, it varies, but overwhelmingly, upwards of 80% of seized assets are kept by law enforcement. What are the typical items that authorities seize? 
It ranges. And the funny thing is that civil asset forfeiture is a legal fiction by which the object itself is considered guilty. So you have cases titled U.S. government versus three diamond earrings or U.S. government versus one Mercedes SEL. So it ranges from the cash in people's pockets to homes to boats. But I think it's important to underscore the fact that, you know, when asset forfeiture, to the extent that Americans are at all aware of this, it was really sold at the height of concerns over the war on drugs in the 1980s. Ronald Reagan talked about it as like, we're taking away the yachts of the kingpins. But that is not necessarily the typical case. It, it ranges from such cases to, you know, I had an ex-policeman from Baltimore who told me they just took the cash out of people's pockets. So it ranges from tiny amounts to large amounts. So are you alleging that there's a lot of corruption in this program, or is it the law itself that's the problem? I think there's a fundamental question of due process. So I think that, you know, Americans have no trouble with law enforcement depriving criminals of the fruits of their ill-gotten gains. But I think when you give the state the power to summarily seize property and then you put the onus on the property owner to go and sue for their property, I think that's dangerous territory. So explain how this all works. If the government does seize your money, car, house, or other property, there is a way to ask for it back, but there's a very strict timeline to do that, right? Exactly. So under federal forfeiture law, you have 30 days to physically get your claim into the federal government in Virginia. If it's not in their hands within 30 days, regardless of the merits of their case, that property is effectively forfeited. You cannot get it back. On the state level, it varies from state to state, but often you have, you know, a very limited amount of time. And beyond that, I mean, this is very specialized law. I've spoken to law graduates who've never heard of asset forfeiture. And in the course of my reporting, I spoke to several specialists in forfeiture law, one of whom said, I wouldn't take a case that was worth less than $50,000. Another said she wouldn't touch a case involving property worth less than $100,000. And that's in part because the law is so stacked in the favor of the government that, you know, if you're going to go to the trouble of pursuing a case that could take years, could drag on and on, it really has to be worth your while, which is another source of concern that a law enforcement agency would just bank on the fact that half the time people won't bother because it's just too hard. We're talking with Jonah Engel, a freelance journalist who's been doing some in-depth reporting on the war on drugs, and we're discussing something called civil asset forfeiture. Jonah, what was the original intention of Congress when this law was written? Obviously, the scope of the law has expanded, but did this law have a clear purpose at the beginning? Yeah, I mean, at the time, the theory went like this. If we can take out the means of production of narcotic cartels, we take out the boats, the planes, the trucks, the storage facilities, we will, in effect, raise the street price of drugs. We will increase the cost of production. And by raising the price of drugs beyond the reach of consumers, we will help decrease demand. So this will strike a blow at the heart of drug cartels. Now, we've had asset forfeiture since 1970, and we've had it in a big way since the 80s. There's no indication that it's had that effect on the price of drugs. In your reporting, you found that civil asset forfeiture is also built into the budgets of some government agencies, right? Yeah, and that's really problematic because the government makes it clear that asset forfeiture should not be conceived of as a source of income, that any benefit is a side issue to the fundamental goal of taking away the means of production of drug cartels. But in an environment where the states are strapped for cash, where the federal government is strapped for cash, we can see how this is a way for police departments to increase their resources without having to go to the state capital to ask for more money at a time when it, these things are very difficult. 
and we're seeing increased use of asset forfeiture right now as we speak. I mean, for example, in California, revenue from federal asset forfeiture has increased over 300% in the past 10 years. Can you talk for a moment about the type of person who's hit by asset forfeiture? They're not just grabbing people off the streets and seizing their property. Are most of these people in the drug trade? There's such a range, and it's being used extensively in the context of the current federal crackdown on medical marijuana. So the federal government sent out dozens and dozens of letters to landlords who had tenants that, for example, you might have a building where someone has a medical marijuana dispensary. Now, your tenant may have followed every single law and have every permit to do what they do under state law in states where medical marijuana is legal, but under federal law, the government can say, regardless of what state law is, your tenant is violating federal drug laws, and we're putting you on notice that if you don't kick out the tenant, we'll seize your building. I spoke to a great-grandmother in Palo Alto. She's living on a pension. She, several years ago, bought a house for her disabled sister to live in. Several years later, her son moves in. He's caught up in a 30-person crack ring, and the government takes this house that belongs to this old woman, and she spends the better part of two years, over $50,000, getting her house back. There's never an allegation that she would have any connection to the drug activity. And finally, the government let her have her house back, but she's out of pocket, you know, over $50,000. The reach of this law is extensive, and it catches up, you know, people who have nothing to do with drugs. So where do you see this going? Will Congress eventually act to rein this in, or do you see its use continuing to expand? You know, it's kind of receded from view, at least at the federal level. In the 1990s, Congressman Henry Hyde spent seven years and overcame a lot of opposition to finally pass the Civil Asset Forfeiture Reform Act, called CAFRA, and that did rein in a bit of asset forfeiture. It put the burden of proof on the government to prove that assets were drug-related in the event, of course, that the person challenged the forfeiture. I think in the context of, you know, real budget cuts, I'm not sure that limiting this source of income is a priority. Pretty amazing stuff. Jonah Engel, a freelance journalist who's been looking into the war on drugs. Jonah, is there a place where our listeners can read more of your writing on this topic? Yeah, if they go to drugwardispatches.com, I'm working on a big feature story on this issue. Well, thanks for joining us on InfoTrack. Thanks so much. And I'm Tara McCall for InfoTrack. Next, could you become a target in the legal fight against online piracy and counterfeit goods? A top legal expert shares advice to keep you out of trouble. There's more InfoTrack coming up. Stay tuned.